Listen, I don't know about you, but it is really, really good news to me that God's love for me, God's work in my life, it's not based on whether or not I'm feeling it. It's based on the fact that he's faithful and that his disposition towards us is fixed and it's unchanging. His posture towards his children is only always love continually. And then even our moments of difficulty and, and discipline, it's because he loves us and he's drawing us close to himself. So, so wherever you're at this morning, like may, maybe you are in the place, like you're, you're not seeing his work in your life. You're not feeling his work in your life. He's working in your life. He's working in you. He's working all around you right now, drawing you to himself. So Father, we thank you so much that your love for us is not based on whether or not we feel it. It's not based on whether or not we see it. It's based on the fact that you are faithful and that you have said you love us and you are pursuing us and drawing us to yourself. And in this week, Lord, where we have poured so much of ourselves into seeking you, into seeing you in your word and through worship and through prayer, God, even in all of those things, you don't love us more because we've done them. You don't love us less because we didn't. You love us because you're faithful. And so, Lord, for the brother, sister in this room today who's not feeling it, who's not seeing it, who cannot feel the warmth of the sun, who cannot see the light of its rays, whose experience right now, even as we gather, is, is just a cloud of darkness. Will you infuse them with the confidence of knowing you are working? You are not distant. You are near. You are not far. So, Father, as we open up your word together today, we ask again, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see him for who he is and to seek him for who he is. Will you speak to us words this morning that will edify your church and glorify the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, sanctify us in the truth of your word. Your word is truth. Speak it to our hearts today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And um, I'm assuming at the, the slightly hushed amen we just gave, some of us are a little bit tired right now, right? Um, who has been in this building like every single day over the last week? Man, I don't know about you. There's a really good nap in my future tomorrow. Um, a lot of adrenaline still today, a lot of caffeine, a lot of Holy Spirit that's driving me forward. What an incredible week we have had as a church family. Um, Psalm 105 verse four says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. And so as we meditate on that verse as leadership a few months ago, we started asking the question, what does it look like for us to take an entire week as a church where we radically restructure all of our ministry efforts around the continual pursuits of the presence of God. And this past week, we have seen the fruit of what happens when we devote ourselves to that type of work. And so last Sunday morning, we gathered in here together our first Sunday of the year. I mean, can we celebrate? Last week, we saw a couple dozen people publicly respond to the gospel in our, our worship gatherings. It was incredible. 
we gathered again on Sunday night. Over 270 people came in here on Sunday evening for the purpose of prayer and for worship. Went on for almost two and a half hours. And then this rolled directly into, beginning at 9 p.m., a public reading of the entire Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Guys, 135 readers. It took us 77 hours and 41 minutes. We got to the end of Revelation, amen? And uh, how, how many of you got to read at some point in time over the last week? Who was just in this building during some really weird hours? Like honestly, at some point, it was incredible. I mean, just to, all throughout this building to be able to come for a few days, all you heard was the word of God. Now, many of you were driving around town and you would tune into the live stream or even as you were falling asleep at night or doing chores around your home. And so we, we heard the voice of God through his word all week long. And then the last few nights, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, we have packed out this room every single night. We heard from three incredible speakers. Thursday night, Chris Dew called us to seek the Lord with all that we are, shared his, his miraculous testimony of how God has transformed his life. On Friday night, what a fun night, right? Uh, Tyson Coughlin, if only he had a little bit more energy. Um, he's the same way at breakfast in the morning, just by in case any of you were wondering, we, we experienced that yesterday called us to seek God in his word. Who has just been throwing out the phrase flag on the play over the last couple of days? Yeah, Tyson was fantastic. Then last night, such a powerful night, Adam Flint called us to seek the Lord in our suffering. His own story of, of walking through cancer. This morning, we're gonna see how we're called to seek the Lord for who he is. Ultimately, church, we don't come to Jesus for the things that he has to offer. We come to him for him. And this morning, what we're going to see, if you want to turn with me in your Bible, Mark chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 21 through 23. This morning, we're going to look at two stories of people who came seeking the presence of the Lord, but in two very, very different ways. And so as we get to Mark chapter 5 this morning, I want to ask us two questions just to ponder before we dive into the text. First question is this, do you ever feel like God sees everybody else's pain and problems except for yours. Do you ever feel like God is, is so busy serving everybody else that he doesn't quite have time to get to you? Do you feel like God notices everybody else's problems except for yours or maybe a little bit closer? Have you ever been in a place before where you feel like you've come to the Lord for help and it started in a good place, but ultimately you felt let down in the end? These are the two stories that we see in Mark chapter five this morning. Mark five is often referred to as the St. Jude chapter of the Bible because it's full of what appear to be a couple of lost causes and hopeless situations. And today we see not one, but two seemingly hopeless situations through a story that unfolds within a story. The verses of a religious leader named Jairus who comes to Jesus desperately pleading for his daughter who's sick and dying. And the second is of a woman who is suffering from a chronic debilitating female issue that's left her physically exhausted, financially depleted, and spiritually cut off from the place of worship. So these are two stories, two very, very different stories of people who come to Jesus in moments of desperation. These are people who had come to the end of their rope and they had tried everything within their power. Everything else had failed. They had run out of options, so they come to Jesus for help. If you asked across this room this morning, um, you would find stories, a lot like the ones that we've heard the last couple of nights, you would find a lot of stories of lives that have been transformed by the gospel. If Jesus has just absolutely changed your life from the inside out, why don't you just let us all know this morning by saying amen. 
Like if Jesus has just transformed your life, you would find those stories everywhere of people who would say, man, this is how my life used to look. It was broken. It was a mess. And maybe they don't even have all the questions answered about their faith yet. They're saying, but this is what I've become today. I'm a completely different person. And Jesus Christ was the difference. You'll find those lives, you'll find those stories of people who have encountered Jesus, who know Jesus in a deep, intimate, real, personal way and are testimonies of his saving grace. But at the same time, I know many of us come in this room this morning and, and man, you're in a completely different space. You're like, man, that's all well and good. All these other people have, have seen Jesus and have come to know Jesus and have this relationship with Jesus. I'm starting to wonder if he knows that I exist at all. I'm trying to, to piece my life together. I'm trying to figure things out. I'm trying to make sense. And God seems distant. God seems far. Or again, it feels like maybe there was some presence in your life for a little bit. It felt like you were getting a little bit closer and the, the needle was finally starting to move. But suddenly you're like, Lord, where, where did you go? It felt like you were with me here, but it doesn't feel like you're with me here. And in your mind, it's over. But here's the good news for all of us this morning. The place where all hope has been lost is the place where Jesus can be found. And what we see in Mark chapter five this morning is that those who seek the Lord with all they are will find him for all that he is. Seek the Lord with all that you are, even if your faith is small and broken and fractured. Bring the little bit that you have to Jesus. If you seek the Lord with all that you are, you will find him for all he is. Guys, this week has, has really been an experience. I mean, there's, we, we've seen some powerful things happen. Almost every single night that we gathered in this room, we saw over a dozen people publicly respond to the gospel. It's been incredible. Five more people in our first service this morning publicly responded to the gospel today. It's incredible. Like we just praise God for how we're moving. And so, man, it's been a, a heck of an experience this week. There's been a lot of emotion. There's a lot of tears, but I hope you understand revival is not just about an emotional experience. It may be emotional and it will be an experience. Revival's not just about emotional experience. It's about encountering the power of a person. Ultimately, we do not come to Jesus just because of what he has to offer. We come to Jesus for Jesus. And in Mark 5 this morning, he shows us again who he is and he proves to us that he is worthy of our lives and of our faith. So from Mark chapter 5, I'm going to read beginning with verse 21. I'm going to go down through the first half of verse 24 to begin. And it says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. When you seek Jesus with all you are, you will find him for all that he is. And what we see about who he is first in Mark 5 this morning is that he is responsive to our needs. Jesus is responsive to our needs. The first person we're introduced to here is a prominent religious leader named Jairus. He wasn't just one of the leaders in the synagogue, he was one of the rulers in the synagogue. And this is a very, very big deal because we know as we read through the gospels, Jesus isn't a guy who was terribly popular with the religious, religious leaders, right? I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees were not fans of Jesus. 
His popularity was already exploding early in the Gospel of Mark. He's calmed a storm. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. and, And particularly, there's some jealousy among the scribes and the Pharisees because Mark 1 says that Jesus taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes and Pharisees. So he was just at a different level than, than everybody else was. And so they don't like Jesus. And so by coming to Jesus in this moment, Jairus is risking everything. He's risking his position. He's risking his reputation. He's risking his integrity with everybody that matters. And man, he doesn't come to Jesus suddenly. We see that he comes and he falls on his face and he is begging him, my daughter is dying. Please come lay your hands on her so that she may be healed. He, he gets every obstacle out of the way. He is not limited by the pride of saying, oh my gosh, what are people gonna think if I go hang out with this Jesus guy? I could lose my position, my reputation's gonna take a hit. No, he's, he's a desperate parent. Man, parents, we, we, I think if you have kids, you can really sympathize with what's going on here this morning because we know that those of us that have kids, it hurts us a lot more to watch our kids feel pain than when we feel it ourselves, doesn't it? Man, when I was uh, about seven years old, I got a, a pocket knife for Christmas. We, we gave weapons. I grew up in Boone, North Carolina. We give weapons to kids early. I'm sorry. I'm armed today. I mean, for goodness sake. And, and so I uh, got a pocket knife for my dad. And, and, uh, and so I wasn't supposed to take it to church with me. Obviously, I did anyway. And, and so one Wednesday night after church was over, um, I'm out back behind our church building. And I'm, I'm like carving up this stick with some friends. I'm not paying attention. And man, I just cut right into my knife. I still, or my thumb. I still have a big scar right here in my thumb from where I got myself with this knife. And so I'm like pouring blood. I'm freaking out. I run into the church building where my parents are having choir practice. And I'm like, I'm dying, you know, and my dad's got to jump up and help me. And, and he gets it all cleaned up. And that was painful and everything. And you would think maybe I had learned from this experience, but a few years ago, my oldest son for his birthday, I gave him a pocket knife, like almost identical. Judge me. That's okay. I don't care. And, um, and, and so my, my, I, I, you would think I learned from this, but I'm trying to be responsible. I'm trying to supervise. I remember this experience and I'm showing him how to use it, and he's doing a good job. He's carving away. But the stick he was carving on, it kind of, the knife kind of gets caught up on this knot, and I could see it happening in slow motion. The words are coming to my mouth, oh, oh but be careful, because I, I saw what was going to happen. The blade was going to slip, and sure enough, he cut right into his thumb in almost the identical spot that I did. And it's, we're looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is looking close to the bones. Of course, I got to wrap it up real fast, and I throw him in the car, and we, we get to the emergency room, and I promise you this, it was way more painful for me watching Gideon go through that than it was for me to go through that. Especially as a dad, like, I feel like it's kind of my fault. You know, like I gave him this and, and Emily's like, told you so. You know, like it's, there's, I got to deal with that kind of rejection as well. Like it's hard. We hate watching our kids suffer. This man's desperate. And, and I just wonder this morning, like what wall of pride is keeping you from falling in desperation at the feet of Jesus? Is your reputation, what are people gonna think of me if, if I change this about my life? Like maybe you just kind of got this hard persona of like, I've got it all together, I work hard, nobody hands me anything, I'm gonna do this myself. What is keeping you from coming to Jesus? What, what are you willing to, to lay down? He's responsive to our needs. He, he is someone who cares about us. We saw this last week in, in Luke 10, the story of Zacchaeus. This is what I love about Jesus is, is in, in spite of everything else that's happening, always massive crowds of people pressing in, he always sees the one person and he cares about their needs. He always sees the one. This little girl is essentially in hospice care 
And, and again, we look at a story like this, especially when it's a child, man, we just look at that like, man, that's a tragedy. This is the kind of stuff that makes national news headlines. And in spite of all the needs pressing around, Jesus responds to this one single need. Chris Dew preached here on Thursday night and just an incredible job. I mean, just a, a miraculous testimony of life transformation by the gospel. But if you're, you have any questions, you know, about is, is someone like Chris, is he the real deal? Um, I can personally testify to you that, that yes, in fact, he is. Um, several years ago, uh, Chris and I were attending a ministry event up in Kentucky together. We went with a, a group of friends and thousands of pastors and ministry leaders gathered together for, for this event. And so we broke for lunch. We're meeting at the KFC Center in downtown Louisville. And, you know, we're walking out of the, there's like thousands of people pouring out of the building. I got my phone pulled up. I'm looking for different lunch options and trying to make a plan and where are we going to go. And eventually we, we landed at this food truck that was right outside the center and we grabbed lunch there and we go sit down to eat. And Chris goes, hey, I'll be right back in just a few minutes. And I'm just thinking, oh, it's got to use the restroom, going to get some napkins, you know, something else. And, and a few minutes go by, a few more minutes go by. And then all of a sudden I look over and I see Chris is sitting down. He's having lunch with this homeless guy. And he'd bought lunch for him and he's having a conversation with him. He's sharing the gospel. Like he's looking up like centers on his phone, ways that he could help him. And I'm sitting there watching this unfold. Thousands of pastors, all of whom, by the way, had just heard a sermon on the Good Samaritan. And I'm just, I walk, I, pro, I know that I had to have walked right past him. I'm locked in on my phone. I'm Google Maps. You know, maybe we'll eat at this Thai place. Maybe we'll do this. Maybe we'll do that. Everybody else walked out of that building and undoubtedly many of us saw him, but Chris saw him and he responded to his needs. And this is who Jesus is. Listen, if you, you feel like you're just another person just kind of getting lost in the crowd, Jesus is not disconnected from your need and he's eager to respond in your time of need because that's who he is. Mark goes on to show us in verses 24, through 34, it says, and a great crowd followed him. So now the crowd wants to go, right? What trick is Jesus going to do next? They, they want to be a part of this. Now here's the story within the story. It says, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, everybody say immediately. is a key word in the gospel of Mark. It speaks to both the urgency and the pace with which Jesus lived his life and also the supremacy of his power when he extends healing. It says immediately. The flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, I love this, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. Okay, so Jesus is, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. And, and so somehow in him being simultaneously fully God, fully man, he's able to feel when power from his body is being released. Like if he's operating at 100%, it's like he temporarily dipped down to 92 before he reloaded. And, and so he somehow is able to feel this. It says he perceived that power had gone out from him and immediately, everybody say immediately. He turned about in the crowd and listen to this. He says, who touched my garments? And the disciples are like, really, Jesus? Cool joke, man. They said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. 
And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. When you come to the Lord with all you are, you will find him for all that he is. And we see that he's responsive to our needs. Second, we see in Mark 5 that he is sensitive to our faith. He's responsive to our needs and he's sensitive to our faith. So again, here's the story within the story. The second person we meet is a woman who's coming to Jesus in a place of desperation. And and again, this is not to be crass. I think we can... I'll read between the lines here for for just a moment. I'm not trying to create any awkward conversations at lunch today. Uh, But she is suffering from a female issue that has plagued her for a period of 12 years. Just this constant flow of blood. She's suffered. She's alone. We we see from the text she's financially depleted. Her situation's not gotten any better. In fact, we see that her situation has gotten significantly worse. So she's tried every doctor. She's tried every type of remedy, every type of, of medication. You know, it's likely in this culture that if she had been married, her husband probably would have left her over this. And so if, if that's a part of her story, she's carrying that as well. But more than this, according to the Jewish Mosaic law, her condition made her ceremonially unclean, which meant that she was not allowed to enter into the place of worship. So in every sphere of her life, relationally, emotionally, physically, financially, and even spiritually, guys, she is at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. But verse 27 gives us an important detail. It says, she had heard reports about Jesus. She's tried everything else. She's spent all of her money. Like we think we got some weird essential oils today. I understand like this, this culture that she lived in. There, there were all types of crazy remedies that were based completely on superstition. Uh, remedies such as, as, as doing stuff like this. So it was often taught for something like this. Hey, you should carry around the ashes of an ostrich egg in your apron. And, and that, should, that should bring about some type of healing. Or might, might have even been encouraged to do something like extract corn from a donkey's excrement. Like, hey, there's, there's some special healing power inside of this. So she's probably tried all of these types of things, all types of crazy things. Doctors can't figure it out. No type of at-home remedy. She went to Facebook and saw all the weird recipes in that secret group that nobody knows about. And like, she's tried all of these things and absolutely nothing's worked. In fact, it's not just not worked. All of this has gotten completely worse. But one other superstition that the Lord used to to draw her in is in this culture, it was believed that if someone was a faith healer, that even some type of cloth or fabric that they touched could have power in healing. And so she's thinking to herself, all I need to do is touch the hem of his garment. So absolutely, she's coming to Jesus because she does believe he's a faith healer. But the reality is she was probably driven more by superstition than she was anything else. And this is what's amazing about that. As imperfect as her faith is, when she comes to Jesus, he doesn't hit her with a theology test. He doesn't pause and say, hey, let's let's talk for a second about all these horoscopes you've been reading. Let's talk about how you just buried yourself in your Enneagram profile for the last 10 years. He's not going from any of those things. Like he meets her where she is, imperfect as her faith is. And this is the beauty of the gospel is that God's saving work in our life, it's not contingent on the strength of our faith. It's contingent on the fact that he's faithful and that he is good. He meets her in her broken, imperfect faith. But it was faith nonetheless. Hebrews 11 verse six is one of the verses we have centered on continuously for Seek Week. It reminds us without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
It is impossible to please God without faith for whoever would draw near to God, two conditions, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This woman believed that Jesus existed and that he was a healer and that if she touched even the hem of his garment, that she would be healed. And the Lord rewards her in this. God can meet people in in broken and imperfect as their faith is. This is the beauty of the gospel. Like God does not need you to have all the answers and have it all together before you come to him. That that little bit of faith even that you have, and even if it's tiny and middle school, God has deposited that in your heart and he is using that to draw you to himself. And he can meet people in the messiest of situations. I'm gonna give an example here that's really gonna stretch some of you this morning. Really, really, really going to stretch some of you this morning. I heard this testimony recently of, of a guy who um, was not at all, like not, not really like a religious background, not much of a church background, and really was just living his life in the world, living his life in sin, heavily involved in drugs. And one night he, he gets high. And while he was high, his, his testimony is that he suddenly just like came under the heavy conviction of the Holy Spirit and started to recognize he was not living his life the way that he should, and that there was a need for something more, and, and how God really used that to draw him to himself, and he came to saving faith in Jesus. And when he went and shared that testimony with the church, the leaders of that church said, there is absolutely no way that God revealed himself when you were in that type of condition. And I, I hate to break the news to you this morning, but man, if, if, if your God cannot meet people in the messiest of places, the worst of places, and draw them into saving faith, you don't worship the God of the Bible. That this is like incredible Hulk, puny God. That's the God you worship. That, that's a little, tiny, powerless, insignificant God. He can meet people in the darkest, worst, messiest situations in the weirdest ways possible. Our God is a resurrection God. It's from the most unlikely of places that God meets people and he raises them to new life in Jesus Christ. Everyone was touching him. Everybody's pressing in on Jesus. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. But while everybody was touching Jesus, there was one person who really touched Jesus. One person who stopped him dead in his tracks. And I understand this morning, Jesus is walking. This is happening. He presses in. She touches him and then Jesus asks this question. He says, who touched me? Now, let's pause again. Jesus is fully God. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He's omniscient, which means anytime Jesus asks a question, it's not because he's hunting for information. Like what's going on here? Anytime Jesus asks a question, it is always for the benefit of everybody else who's gathered around. What he was trying to show them is that while everybody there was trying to get a piece of him, there was one person there who wanted him, wanted Jesus, who knew that he had what she needed, who pressed in. And in and, and all of this crowd, it stops him dead in his tracks. And this is good news for you because it tells us that, yes, you may just be another face that's lost in the crowd, but your faith will never be lost in the crowd. Jesus is sensitive to your faith, imperfect as your faith may be. Again, I've got three boys. Um, I'm raising barbarians, you guys. Like, they're, they're just wild. Our house is chaos. It's nuts. We are exhausted at all times. 
And I walk in the door and I'm usually not in the door five minutes and my boys want to wrestle. And man, when we wrestle, I'm, I'm ruthless. You know, I'm undefeated still. They're little. I just dominate them, make sure they know who is the king of this hill still for now. Even I'm, I'm confident I'm still going to have old man strength and just their whole life. I'm just going to make sure. And so I'm, I'm walking in the door and usually our youngest son, Lincoln, I don't get in the door five minutes. He goes, dad, can we wrestle? And so we'll do this a few nights a week. We'll go up in our upstairs room. We just have all out UFC. We pulled up like all old WWE videos from like the 80s and the 90s and, and all the great wrestlers. And we recreate the moves and stuff. And if you ever see us at the emergency room, you'll know why. And um, so they just pile on top of me. It's getting a little bit harder. They're getting a little bit older. Um, I'm still winning, but, but it's, uh, it's, it's getting a little bit more difficult. And we're wrestling a couple weeks ago and they're all punching me in different ways. It's a hit here, it's a hit here, it's a hit here. They're all punching me, but then one of them punched me. I mean, like rib shot, right? I mean, knocked the wind out of me. And given the size of the fist, I immediately knew who. It was the little runt of the litter who just is ruthless. I mean, he just swings and he, he doesn't pull his punches. They were all hitting me, but man, he hit me. And then this is what's happening with Jesus. Everybody's touching him, but then somebody touched him. Somebody reached out in faith and said, I don't need you to say a word. I don't need you to look me in the eyes. I don't even need you to know who I am, but I believe if I grab even the hem of your garment, I'm gonna find healing. And he did. And Jesus brings the whole crowd to a dead stop. She's afraid because she's worried that she's now done something wrong. Jesus is asking this question. It's causing this commotion. He's supposed to be on his way to healing this little girl urgent situation, but finally she comes forward. She's afraid. I'm so sorry. This was what was going on. This is what I did. And does Jesus respond by scolding her? What does he say? He says, daughter. When's the last time someone's called her that? When's the last time someone has called her anything other than unclean? Understand, she was breaking the religious law by reaching out and touching Jesus. She, she is risking a lot here. And he doesn't scold her. He looks at her and he calls her daughter. He doesn't call her by her sin. He calls her by her name. He calls her by her title. And I just wonder how many of you are in that place today. It's like the world you're living in right now, everybody around you, they're constantly just calling you failure and I just wonder today, will you hear the voice of Jesus saying, no, 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 not failure, forgiven. How many of you, you're in this room, all you hear is the word sinner, 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 your mistakes, sinner. And, and, and Jesus is going, no, 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 son, child, mine. How many of you, all you hear over and over and over is divorced, that's who you are. And Jesus is over here going, no, 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 no daughter. That's who you are. When she reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment, she didn't just grab his hem, she grabbed him. She came to him with everything she was, and she found him for all that he is. I, I love this, these words from A.W. Tozer. You should read everything by A.W. Tozer, but um, this is really good. He says, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. There are two conditions for you to come to Jesus. Number one is to simply know that you're a sinner. And the second is to know that he's a savior. It is to let your soul gaze upon the salvation that you can find in Jesus Christ. Quickly, we'll read verses 35 and 36 as the story continues to unfold while he was still speaking. So now we're back, back into act three, but this is the first story. Okay, so we, we had 
Jairus over here, and then that's on pause for just a second. He heals this woman. Now we're back to the original story. It says, while he was still speaking, so he's in conversation with this woman. While he's still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, listen, do not fear only believe. And what is he asking them to believe? Jairus came to Jesus saying, if you will come lay hands on her, she will be healed. And, and yet what's unfolded in the middle of all of this is a woman who Jesus did not even have to lay the hand on her. She simply comes to him without saying her name, without saying the situation, without explaining anything, she barely touches the hem of his garments and she's healed. So Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't fear. Only believe. What Jesus is showing us in his willingness to go with Jairus is he didn't even have to be present. That this is the power that we find in Jesus. And so we, we see as this continues to unfold, he's responsive to our needs. He's sensitive to our faith. Third, he is attentive to our pain. He knows, he knows what's going on. He has not lost sight of this situation. Believe it or not, our God can walk and chew gum at the same time. He can do two things at once. Scripture tells us he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So what are two people who are sick at the same time? Do not fear, only believe. He's attentive to our pain. Now, the juxtaposition of these two stories here should not be lost on us. We could not have two more different stories. One is a man, the other is a woman. One is rich, the other's poor. One has a family, the other is alone. One is prominent and celebrated, the other is forgotten and neglected. One comes to him publicly, the other comes to him privately. One is a leader in the synagogue, the other is not allowed to enter the synagogue. One had celebrated 12 joyful years with his daughter, the other had suffered through 12 years of frustration. And yet they are united by one simple common thread, their desperate need for healing. And this just shows us these two stories side by side. Listen, Jesus meets all of us in the exact same place. It does not matter your socioeconomic status. It does not matter your gender. It doesn't matter your cultural background. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have or whether you're a prominent figure or you're, you're kind of a private figure. It doesn't matter. For all of us, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Every single one of us are sinners who are in need of a savior and Jesus is that savior. He meets us all where we are, regardless of where we're coming from. Some come to Jesus fully confident in his ability to save. Others might be driven by an imperfect, superstitious understanding, but the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Two very, very different stories, but the same Savior who meets both of their needs, and he knows each story in an intimate way. Closing out this passage, verses 37 through 43, it goes like this. It says, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. Now pay attention here. It says, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Now let's pause what type of a person walks into the home of a family that's lost a child and asks the question, what are y'all crying about? 
Who does that? Like you don't, you don't come into that type of an environment and make that, I mean, that's the type of thing that gets you punched in the face, right? I mean, like you don't walk into an environment like that in a situation like that and say something that at first glance would sound so insensitive unless you're about to do something absolutely crazy that flips the whole situation on its end. And so we just ask this question, what, why, is, why is everybody crying? Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, the, who was here last night when, when Adam Flint came to share? This is the opposite of the Lazarus story, right? Jesus first says to his disciples, Lazarus is sleeping. And they think Jesus means that he's just asleep. Jesus is like, no, guys, like he's, he's, he's dead. That's what I'm trying to say. Jesus first says he's sleeping and what he meant was is dead. Everybody else here is saying she's dead and Jesus goes, no, 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 she's just sleeping. Everybody's always just asleep even though they've died as long as Jesus is around. As long as Jesus is in the vicinity, like you're dead, like you're actually just taking a nap. Like that story's not over and until he's come through. And so he, he says, no, 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 no. She's not dead, but sleeping. Verse four, he says, they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in there to the child was. And taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, everybody say immediately. The girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. When we come to Jesus with all that we are, we will find him for all that he is. He's responsive to our needs. He's sensitive to our faith. He's attentive to our pain. And fourth, we see this morning that he is active even in our death. He is active in our death. Everybody else has lost hope. Hey, don't bother him anymore. It's too late. We thought he was coming, but situation got bad, took a bad turn, and now she's gone. And Jesus in this moment, he, he never stopped working. Do you think her family was feeling it? Do you think they were seeing it as they watched their daughter pass away? Absolutely no, but he never stopped working. He shows up to this house where this little girl has just passed and he says, she's taking a nap. You better get that little girl snack because she's about to wake up and she's gonna be hungry. Situation's never over. It's, it's not over. He never stopped working, even when they couldn't see it, even when they couldn't feel it, even when it looked like all hope had been lost. And the way he helps revive their hope is by the story within the story. It's the miracle on the way to the miracle. It's, it's by healing this one woman. Again, this is pr probably just a coincidence, right? Like how long had this woman been dealing with the discharge of blood? 12 years. And how old was this little girl who was dying? Probably a total accident, right? Probably no connection there whatsoever. Do not fear, only believe. She's been dealing with this for 12 years. All she had to do was touch the hem of my garment. Guys, I don't even need to be there. I don't even need to be there. Your 12-year-old girl, the one you've known with life and joy for as long as this woman has suffered, I'm going to bring her back. And that's exactly what he does. He's active even in our death. Love this from Tim Keller. He said, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Guys, their faith was gone. Their hope was lost. The story was over. 
It wasn't the strength of their faith that brought her back. It was the object of their faith who raised her back to life. Um, Shia LaBeouf is a, uh, he's a, he's an actor. He's pretty, pretty popular. And, um, he's been in the news a lot over the last several years and more recently because he's just, he's been exploring issues of, of faith and questions of faith. And listen, I know there's still a lot of questions around this. So let's just chew the meat and spit the bones here. Okay. This isn't an endorsement of everything he's ever said or done, but I was, I was intrigued by this interview of his that I listened to recently where he, he had been in the news just for a long time for like all the wrong things. Um, he talked about how originally his paradigm for faith and spirituality, he was like, you know, art, love, and God, they were all just kind of the same thing sort of mixed together. And that, that really was sort of his religion that he was pursuing. But, but then he was just for a long time, he was in the news for all the wrong reasons, got into all kinds of trouble, uh, did things that he, he just said, just made him feel this overwhelming sense of shame. And he said, it was the type of shame that, that kept me from being able to breathe, and he goes on and he, he tells the story. He's like, but you know, I see all of these people who had done these horrible things, who are professing faith in Jesus Christ, who are finding forgiveness in Jesus. And he talked about how everything began to change for him because up to that point in time, his understanding of God and his understanding of, of religion, he said it was more along the lines of uh, what's, what's commonly spoken even in our culture today, uh, God helps those who help themselves. And so it's like, hey, as long as you're getting after it, as long as you're doing the right things, as long as you're managing it well, he thought, he was like, I, I thought it was all up to my managerial ability. He said, my understanding of God is that God helps those who help themselves, but as it turns out, he just helps those who ask. And again, I, I don't know where he's at in the rest of his, his faith journey, and I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily holding him up as the shining example for all of us today, but I think, again, if we can just chew the meat and spit the bones here, this is exactly what we see in this text today. None of these people could help themselves. They, they had done everything within their power. Everything had fallen on its face and failed. Faith was gone, hope was lost, and Jesus was never hindered. Guys, this has been an incredible week. You know, we have pursued the Lord in fasting and in prayer. We've gathered together for worship. We just read the whole Bible together. Let, let, let me just break this down for us a little bit today. God doesn't love us more because we did all those things. He doesn't love you less because he didn't. His pursuit of us is not contingent on our ability to pursue him. It's contingent on the fact that he's faithful and he's good. That's why we don't just come to him for what he offers. We come to him for him. We come to him for who he is. What kind of a God is this that he does not need our performance to love us well? That is exactly who he is. Jesus says in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, we read this last night, after Lazarus had passed away, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Understand this morning, friends, resurrection is not just something Jesus does. Resurrection is who Jesus is. That's why we don't just come to him for what he offers. We come to him for who he is. And when we receive him for who he is, we receive everything that he offers. And so as we close up this time this morning, I want to give us three uh, challenges for reflection and response as we close our time together. The first challenge is, is to do what we've challenged you the last two weeks. This doesn't end today. Seek, seek week ends, but we are going to continue to be a seeking church. Amen. This is not the end of anything. This is the catalyst of a new beginning for us as a body of believers. 
Continue pressing into the Lord. Seek the Lord for who he is, not who you think he is, not who you feel he is, not who you see him to be in that moment, but for who he actually is. Seek the Lord for who he is. When you go grabbing at the hem of his garment, you won't just find his hem, you will find him. Seek him for who he is and he'll meet you with everything that he has. Second challenge is this, go public with your story. Go public with your story. All across the last week, we've been very intentional about inviting people to publicly respond to the gospel. We've seen people who were not believers in Jesus Christ become believers in Jesus Christ. We've seen people who have long been believers in Jesus Christ just walk through a week of renewal and refreshment as their hearts have just come alive once again in Jesus. And we celebrate every next step all the same. And, and part of our, our pattern here as a church is, you know, we don't always necessarily every single week do like a big public invitation and response, but anytime we're in the gospels, when we see Jesus calling people publicly, we call, Jesus, we call people publicly. And Jesus doesn't do this to this woman because he's trying to shame her, because he's trying to alienate her, because he's trying to single her out. He does this to reunite her to community to show these people, hey, this woman that you have avoided all this time, that you don't want to be touched by, she's been healed and she's been clean. She couldn't get to the temple, so the temple came to her. Her flow of blood separated her from worship, but his flow of blood would reunite her forever to God. And that's what Jesus did for her. And so he brings her up, number one, to affirm her, but also for the benefit of others gathered. So when we challenge you to publicly respond to the gospel, it's not just for your benefit, it's for somebody else around you who may not have the faith that you have yet, who needs to see God is still moving, God is still working, so that when they're in the place that they're like, it's hopeless, it's lost, it's too far gone, they can still see, no, God is still raising dead hearts to life, and he can raise mine too. God has not saved us to have a private faith. It's a public faith. So go public with your story. And finally, rise up through faith in Jesus Christ. Rise up through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer in Jesus, will you hear him calling out to you today? Calling you to turn from your sin. Calling you to put your faith in his perfect life, death, and resurrection. To stop trusting in your ability to fix all the problems in your life and to wave the white flag of surrender and say, I'll do it your way, and reach out to him in faith. When you come to Jesus with everything you are, even if your everything feels like nothing, when you come to him with everything you are, you will find him for all that he is. Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment as we close? I'm gonna keep this really, really simple and really, really quick today. We're gonna jump right to the point. We've done this all week long. In just a second, we're going to give you an opportunity to publicly respond to the gospel. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but today you have seen and you have heard who Jesus is, and you say, I want to know that Jesus, I want to follow that Jesus, he's worthy of my faith, he's worthy of my life. I realize that he has created me to be in relationship with him, but my sin has separated me from him. You believe that he has done everything necessary for you to be saved through his life and his death and his resurrection. And today you want to turn from sin and you want to call on his name in faith for the salvation of your soul. Hear his voice calling out to you today, son, daughter, rise. Or again, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but if you're just being honest and you're like, hey, I believe, I believe he's a healer but I've been trying to fix the mess of my life in my own strength. 
I've been trying to figure it out completely on my own. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. I've tried it all and it's, it's shutting me down physically, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, everything. And I'm ready to wave the white flag today and say, Lord, I'm reaching out to you now. I'm done trying to do this in my own strength and I'm reaching out to you. If you're in either one of those groups to say, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ or to say, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm ready to quit doing this in my own strength and to reach out in him in faith. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand across this room this morning? And praise God, keep your hands up for just a moment. Praise God, keep your hands up. And, and so I'm gonna ask everybody else for, for the moment, if you'll keep your heads bowed. All you guys with your hands up, if you'll just look at me for just a moment. If we'll, we'll just, it's just you and me right now, just, just across the room. In just a second, I'm gonna ask you to stand up in this room. And again, this is not to embarrass you. This is not to shame you. This is not to single you out. This is to celebrate the work that God is doing in your heart. But your stand is a bold, courageous way that you are also encouraging the people around you. Somebody today who needs to see your story and see that God has not given up and that hope is not lost and that their situation isn't lost. And so in just a moment, we're gonna lift up our heads. I'm gonna ask you guys to stand and we just wanna celebrate. At the end of our service today, I wanna challenge you to meet with a member of our prayer team and reach out to them for prayer and let them come around you and help you with whatever your next step is today. Don't carry that by yourself. God has saved you and he's sustaining you to be a part of a community of believers. So you guys can put your hands down for now. Everybody else, we can go ahead and look up around this room. And man, those of you who had your hands up, will you just stand up so we can celebrate you this morning in this place in the world? Yeah, praise God for the work he's doing in your life. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 Yeah. Amen.